have those downstairs. It's easy for us to forget those listening in online who are unable to be here with us and also those downstairs uh, in the family room, as I believe it's a full house this morning. Basically, a simple way for family to, uh, when we don't have kids ministry, to bring their kids and have a little bit of commotion and yet still feel a part of the community here. I uh, was just grateful that uh, really our team put that together. Hopefully that continues to minister to our church family. Do you believe that we're five plus months into this season we're calling COVID-19? Five plus months already. And I wonder how many of you have uh, spent your, your um, isolating moments. Uh, maybe this is less the case today, but remember five months ago when this first hit, we were looking for things to do. We went from crazy busy to looking for things to do, um, which was uh, an amazing phenomenon to some degree. Uh, but uh, one of the things that we did is uh, play games together, uh, and Silas and I were doing this thing just to get off of the TV for one second. We were doing this thing called Dot to Dot. Can you guys put the picture up? You guys know what the Dot to Dot game? Do you know what I'm talking about with those things? They start with a number. You start with the number one. Right? And then you go to two, then to three. Well, uh, Silas and I spent a number of hours on this particular game together. Again, the intention started to be a relaxing little bit of time together. And I, don't, I won't speak for him today. That would be mean. But I'll speak for myself. I don't know what happens when the mages get involved in these kind of things. But just really quickly, a nice relaxing game became a race for me. Right? Like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You're flying through it, and I'm looking over what number is he on? Raise your hand if you understand the kind of mentality I'm talking about. Raise your hand if you think I'm crazy. Yeah, okay, a lot of us here, right? So, yeah, like five minutes in, all of a sudden, this is about winning. This is about being farther along on this thing than Silas. I cannot allow him to beat me. And uh, Silas remembers that what would often happen, because we're working with tens, is you're flying through these dots. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, fifteen. Shoot! The image is all messed up. Right? Like, you can't just erase it. It's over. It's over. You, you might have to squiggly the line a little bit or go to another dot. But the minute that you're going too fast, these dots, you miss them. Also, you make a mistake, and in the end, it distorts the image. There have been a lot of dots in the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of things that Jesus has been talking about, and it's a cohesive unit, and he's always making connections that we may or may not see, especially as we go through this in the way that we have, right? He's made a lot of connections uh, and, and just to point out for me, what the chapters 6 and 7 have been especially meaningful to me. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is about uh, what citizenship in the kingdom of God is like. Right? The, the new Moses sits down to teach his disciples, and he's uh, embarking, he's bringing them on a new exodus out of uh, sin, and he's casting a vision for a kingdom uh, a citizenship that is reflected in the way that they live. But then in chapter 6 and into 7, 
as we've seen, there's this connection between citizenship in the kingdom and this relationship that we have with God the Father. That to live in the kingdom of heaven, to live in the kingdom, be a citizen of the kingdom of Christ, is to have a vibrant, ongoing relationship with God the Father. We talk about the reward of the Father, of praying to the Father, seeking the Father, asking of the Father, receiving from the Father. So much about the Father. So he's connecting citizenship in the kingdom with a relationship to the Father. If we don't get that, I think we miss a connection point and we distort the image of the the beauty and the glory of Christ's kingdom. And also, we've seen a lot of instruction on how we're to treat other people. Citizenship in the kingdom connects to the way that we relate to each other. A lot of instruction on that. Again, our hearts that express themselves in how we treat other people. These are not two separate things. The citizenship of the kingdom and the way that we treat one another is inseparably connected. So we ask the question this morning, how do we treat each other? How do we treat other people in our lives? And why does that question matter? Jesus speaks to us in Matthew 7, 12. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you want to follow along on the screen, it will be up there. And that's right, today... Our text for the sermon is one verse. And it's Matthew seven twelve. How do we treat others? Why does this question matter? He says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Help me out. I want you to answer these questions, okay? How would you want to be treated by others? That's the question we're starting with. How would you want to be treated by others? If you go out of your way to do something for someone, you sacrifice to them, you give to them, you're going out of your way to do something for someone, how would you want to be treated? Tell me. Like, audibly. If you want. Thanks. Right? If, 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 if you go out of your way to do something for someone, you would want to be appreciated. How about this one? If you're in need, if you're living in a place of need, Practically, how would you want to be treated? What do we got? What's that? You want somebody to fill it. You'd want help. You'd want to be supported. If you're down, discouraged, if you're sad, how would you want to be treated? discouraged, one might want to be encouraged by someone, right? If you hold a position of authority over someone, maybe as a boss or a parent, 
or a teacher or even a manager? How would you want to be treated by those who are under your authority? Respectfully. You'd want to be respected. If you have an opinion or a perspective concerning an important issue that is that should that could be brought to bear on that issue, how would you want to be treated? You'd want to be heard. You'd want to be valued. What if there's ambiguity about your motives in a particular action or situation? How would you want other people to treat you concerning your motives? You'd want someone to give you what? The benefit of the doubt. You'd want them to assume the best of you if you don't know their motives. Here's one for you. What if and when you fail someone or sin against them, how would you want to be treated? Mercifully, you'd want to be treated in such a way that you would be forgiven. If you sinned against someone, you'd want to be treated by the person you sinned against with mercy. You'd want to be forgiven. Forgiven. Why is considering the way that you would want to be treated in any particular situation important? It's because Christ is connecting the way that we want to be treated to the way that we treat others. He's connecting those dots. How uh, we would want to be treated in a particular situation to the way that we would treat others. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This simple summarizing relational ethic known as the golden rule is what we're faced with today. It's a golden rule. Why is it called the golden rule? It's considered to be of great value. A short phrase with great value. Gold, right? It's the smallest ounce is worth Short, but it's valuable. It's called the golden rule. Uh, this is a positive command that is calling us to deliberate action. You may or may not know this, but the golden rule, some variation of it, finds itself expressed in many world religions. Oftentimes, it's in the negative sense. Meaning this, uh, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That's in the Talmud. Jewish Oftentimes it said, if you don't want to be treated in a particular way, don't treat people that way. So basically, it's if you don't do something, you're good. But Jesus leaves no room for passivity. Jesus leaves us no room for just not acting in a particular way. When Jesus commands his disciples, the citizens of the kingdom, he says, I want you to actively do something. I want you to act. He goes beyond the passivity of the negative formulations, and he calls us to actively do things for the well-being of other people. This requires us, in every relational encounter, to consider their situation. It requires us to listen and to try to understand their perspective. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said, simply, we must put ourselves constantly in their situation. 
So we ask the question, right? What if I was in that particular situation? How would I want to be treated? So we ask that in every relational encounter. And it leads us to action. So looping back around, if you want to be appreciated, appreciate and thank others as they serve you. Live a life of gratitude, expressing itself toward others. If you want to be supported, serve, give, support others when they're in need. If you want to be encouraged in a particular situation, then you actively, proactively seek to be an encouragement to other people. If you want to be respected, show respect. Give honor where it is due. If you want to be valued, go out of your way to esteem the value of others. If you want to be heard, then listen. Listen to, value what other people are trying to say. If you want to give, be given the benefit of the doubt in a particular situation regarding your motives, assume the best in others. If you want to be forgiven for your sins, Forgive others as they sin against you, as we read in the prayer, right? Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Maybe at the end of the day, if you really want to boil this down, getting at the heart of every human is a desire for every one of us to feel and be loved by others. And so this is a call to love. It's a call to love. It's a call to treat others in love. Because I think appropriately so. This is how we want to be treated. This is what we want. We want to be loved, and thus we love. It's a call to love others. And yet even as we hear it, Do unto others, right, as you would have them do to you. There's an exposing of human nature. There's an exposing of our selfishness. That we're mostly concerned about ourselves. That we expect much of others and little of ourselves. In some ways, we're really good at starting with what would I want in a particular situation. How would I want to be treated in a situation? Like, we're almost experts at that, aren't we? But sadly, it stops there. What would I want? End of story. The question isn't asked so that one might have a better posture to understand the best way, Christ-honoring way in which to treat other people. It becomes a selfish question. We fail to connect the dots in our relationship with others and how we treat them. And then the image is all the more distorted. One might be able to say that as we think about this, especially in the world in which we live today, especially as we think about our own hearts and our own propensities in relationship to other people, that we live, we hear this golden rule and yet have aluminum hearts. Why do I say aluminum? 
for an ounce. Cheap. Gold is precious and valuable and aluminum is cheap relative to gold. Cheap. And so our relationships have have found themselves to be cheapened by our sin and our selfish demands on others, coupled by our unwillingness to reciprocate love. So think about this reality during this pandemic. Yes, we've seen grace, not to overreact here. We've seen God's word. We've seen grace. But man, we have seen selfishness on display. We've seen our aluminum hearts as we have mask shaming and we have people spitting in people's faces because they don't want to wear a mask. That's one example. And the racial tensions that we hear. We hear the cries of people who feel oppressed and 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 cast aside. I'm not making political statements here. I'm saying that we have seen selfishness and a lack of care and compassion on display throughout our society. We've seen our aluminum hearts in our aluminum age. We've seen human nature, its inherent selfishness, prioritizing me over everything else. We hear a call for justice, fairness, and equity, and it hits deaf ears. And even one might say that a distortion of what justice is also is a selfish ploy to get more. Because it's not really, at the end of the day, often... For some, I'm not categorizing whole, it's not about the greater justice for what it really is, but it's about self. How often we've seen self at the center of our time. The presidential election, the political polarization. As we huddle up in our tribes, we don't seek to listen, we don't seek to understand, we don't really seek true, genuine unity and progress common good, but no, it's me, myself, and I, and the people that agree. We don't see much gold in our age. We see aluminum. And yet Christ's call comes to us as citizens of the kingdom, comes to us as children of the Father, and it connects the way that we want to be treated to the way that we should treat others. How should you, as a child of God, the Father, treat others? Jesus tells us in the way that we would want to be treated. But the question is why? Why? And I think that's important. It's important to ask the question why. As we hear the golden rule and understand that we hear it across the board, in countless religions, in some way, shape, or form, asking the question why, finding a basis for such a command from Christ is important. You've heard me say before, I'm a why God. You 
before I do anything, I've got to understand why. And why motivates, why propels me, as I assume it may for many of you. So Jesus says this to me, that I'm supposed to consider how I would want to be treated in a situation and then treat others accordingly. The question I ask is why? It's in countless religions. As a matter of fact, in 1994, a global ethic by an interfaith council was adopted. Worldwide global interfaith council. And they said, this is how we are to treat humans. They adopted this global ethic. And it offered no basis. No basis. And so we wonder, why? Jesus tells us, for this is the law and the prophets. Why? For this is the law and the prophets. And I don't want to sound disrespectful or cynical here really like that's our motive today for this is the law and the prophets it would be easy for this to bounce off the modern ear and and grow dull to the modern heart that's why because this is the law and the prophets but imagine if i gave you the motive uh yeah this will protect you from the coronavirus we do this people be lined up Right, imagine if, if I said, this will fix all your problems. This will pay your mortgage or your student loans. Like, those are real reasons and solutions that motivate us today, right? What about, this will make you happy. For this is the law and the prophets? Why does Jesus say this? And what he's saying here is he's, he's setting forth and summarizing a standard of righteousness in our relationships. The law and the prophets. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, all that God had revealed Himself to be. All that He'd revealed Himself to be and all that He communicated with God's people about how they are to live in a way that honors Him. For this is the law and the prophets summarizes a standard of true righteousness in the way that we relate. He's saying this, that as you treat others the way that you want to be treated, you are displaying God's nature and you are doing the very thing that God wants you to do. One could emphasize their obligation. This is God's will, you get to keep it. Yes. But what an opportunity that is coupled with that. The opportunity that we have as citizens of the kingdom, as followers of Jesus, as children of the Father, to, as we treat one another, display God's nature and faithfully keep His ways. What an opportunity we have as the people of God. That's what He's saying. This is why it's significant. This is why you treat people this way. This is why you consider it in this way, because when you do so, you display my nature and you keep my will. You do the things that I've asked you to do. That's what the Sermon on the Mount has been about. Righteousness. Righteousness. Right? All the way back to 517. I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. No, don't think I've done that at all. Matter of fact, You think that the demand for righteousness is loosening up? 
of me coming because I'm confronting the Pharisees and the scribes. But understand this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this is the law and the prophets. What Jesus is doing is connecting something that we often disconnect or that we fail to see the connection is that righteousness is very much connected to our relationships, how we treat people. Don't miss that today. Christ is connecting that which we often do not connect and even actively disconnect. That righteousness of the kingdom is connected to the way that we relate to each other. And sadly, we failed here too because we have grown up immersed and saturated in an American individualism that basically has reduced life and righteousness and our relationship with God is to just a me and Jesus journey. And we don't see the connection. It's about me and Jesus. I'm just loving Jesus. But that's a poison to the pursuit an enjoyment of real righteousness. We easily see our walk with God to be a vertical-only experience and ignore the horizontal dimension. I'm always scratching my head, my own head, the disconnect at times. Right? And also, I see it in others. a lot. We miss half the gospel. We love Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We forget about Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. About the reconciling work, the peace that now exists, and how that radically transforms the way that we relate to one another. We forget 1 John 4, 19 and 20 that says this, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. connects true righteousness to relationships. And if you want to just say it more simply, say it this way. That it matters to God a great deal how we treat each other. The way we treat others is of great importance to God. It's so important that it's the law and the prophets. We see this in the Ten Commandments second table of the law, right? Commands 5 through 10. It's about loving neighbor. Loving neighbor. Honoring parents. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet your neighbor's house. That's loving neighbor. It's 
righteousness displayed and manifested in how we treat each other. They ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great and first commandment. Love God. Second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two, the whole law hangs. Because it matters to God. We think about uh, all the gospel passages in, in Paul's letters. Get these amazing explanations of the, the work of Christ, what He did for us, His great work. We get pumped up, and then there's a transition in Paul's letter where he says, okay, now live a life worthy of this. And then he tells us what that looks like. And what is he telling us to do? Treat one another in this particular way. Live out this salvation in your relationships. Righteousness and relationships are always connected. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Not to mention the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, right? So we give our lives to Christ. We come to faith in Him. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. Amen? And what happens it transforms our life. We're changed. That's, that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're, we're radically transformed. And what happens? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Right? Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such thing, what? There's no law. So those are concepts, right, out in the clouds. Love, joy, peace, God. He gives us those concepts. No, He gives us those characteristics in increasing ways so that as we live out this Christian life empowered by the Spirit, that other people experience that beauty and that joy and that glory, Christ's character on display in our lives in how we treat one another. What an opportunity as much as it is an obligation. Amen? nature, fulfilling His commands, treating others the way that they want to be treated, relationships and righteousness connected. Those dots have to be connected. So I'm asking you today, where are you in relationship to those around you? How are you postured to treat others? Have you found yourself yourself, uh, wrapped up in selfishness and individualistic mindsets when it comes to your walk with Christ. I think the pandemic has exposed that in me more than ever, if I can just be honest. There have been times where I felt very selfish, very withdrawn from the reality of other people's lives, because in many ways we were forced to. I wonder if you're feeling that. Five months into this, you've got your yourself and your and your and your nucleus, and again, in many ways, I still 
can't help some of this. So I'm not meaning to come harsh on this, but understanding that it's good as we walk through it to just be processing and thinking about how this isolation, this pandemic, has influenced the way that we think about others. And continue to pray and rely upon the Spirit that even as we navigate through difficult times that create some unique challenges, that really we the calling remains that we love God and love neighbor. The opportunity remains that we can love God and love neighbor and display His nature for the world to see. That yes, we're moving through a particular pandemic that creates certain obstacles, but understand we continue to move forward faithfully in the things that God has called us to. Seizing the opportunities that He's given us to bear witness, to image His nature in the way that we live. You may be feeling weak right now. You may be feeling uh, guilt or even conviction about some things from the last five months. And as we hear this call, it would be easy to just say, do a better job, work harder at it. But one of the things is the gospel that calls us is a gospel that provides for us. Righteousness and relationships matter to God, but they also matter to God's people. You know why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. Because you've seen Christ. That ultimately, the thing that motivates you in relationship to other people is not just your own desires, as you consider them in a in a particular situation. But yeah, those are significant. Christ connects those dots. But ultimately, what motivates us to treat people with love is not our own desires inside of us, but the love of God the Father, that the love of Christ, we love because He first loved us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That it's the way that God treated us in Christ, mercifully, undeservedly, compassionately, Fairly, justly, that compels us to give us the reason why we love one another. Right? Jesus is assuming we want to be treated well, but he's also working under the assumption that his disciples are citizens of the kingdom and they have a new heart in them, a new spirit by faith in Jesus that now says, you know what, I actually want to pursue righteousness. I hunger and thirst for righteousness, and Christ is filling and satisfying me with it. I don't want my family to be to be trapped by selfishness. I don't want my marriage to be plagued by my constant demand that I get what I want. I don't want that anymore. I could easily go on preaching on that <laughs> right now, but I won't. The gospel empowers us. Right? And it connects this command to our life. And I'm hoping we can connect that dot just briefly. Command to the heart, the heart to your life. And I'm going to give you this simple application. Before you act in relationship to other people, 
ask the question. Ask the question, how would I want to be treated? Ask the question on the basis of how did Christ treat me? Before you ask in your marriages, before you act, ask in your marriages. Imagine what marriages would be like if husbands and wives treated each other in accordance with the golden rule. Imagine golden marriages where husbands approach their wives sensitively, trying to understand the challenges they face, considering the way in which they would want to be treated if they were in that position and loves them accordingly. Imagine if wives did this as well. That's the vision that Christ lays out for us in our marriages. I'll never forget when I asked at the, at the ripe age of 18, I asked my father-in-law if I could marry his daughter, Susie. It took him about 15 minutes to sit down and actually answer the question because he knew the answer. Long story short, at the end of a fabulous conversation with a good man, he gave me advice I'll never forget. He said, over the next, we had 18 months of dating. Over the next 18 months, I want you to do this one thing. I want you to spend the next year and a half thinking about how each of you can consider the other person's marriage better. He didn't say the golden rule. But he rephrased it. It's the same idea. Right? It has an assumption that you're considering yourself, your own needs. It has that assumption. But he's saying consider the other person more important than yourself. That's what I want you to do in the next 18 months. He's summarizing love. He's summarizing. Like Jesus, he's summarizing. That's the kind of DNA I want you to set in this relationship. Imagine if marriages could work to set that DNA. Husbands, take the lead on this. Don't wait. Wives, respond. Respond to leadership. Respond to the initiative. It's gold. It's gold. It brings glory to God. What about families? Imagine what families would be like if they committed themselves to loving God and living out the golden rule in their relationships with one another. Imagine if this father, uh, father and uh, this husband and wife, who are father and mother, began to immerse their whole family in this particular ethic, this particular posture, this particular relational response to the gospel. Imagine what would happen. How would brothers and sisters treat one another if the golden rule was stamped on their hearts? If the gospel took that kind of root in each of their souls? We always said, can our families, can our family be a place of grace? Man, do we bubble at that idea. That the Maisies have always, can, can, can our family be a place of grace? home increasingly becoming a place of grace. Husbands, fathers, mothers, wives, 
Are you seeking this? Is that your vision? You're just trying to get through the day so you can flick on the TV. I know it's so easy for us to miss the point and miss the vision that God has for us and just do things and hope it all works out in the end. Fathers and mothers lead them as children follow them. I wonder about our churches. Imagine a church full of people who live this out consistently in relationship with one another. Imagine the 85 members at Renovation Church giving themselves to treating others the way that they want to be treated because, man, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. And they want to display together the nature of God. Imagine if they push through and set aside and cast down the American individualistic spirituality that is crushing churches. Imagine if they covenant together to bear each other's burdens, to give, which, which we've done so powerfully over the last five months, which I can't commend you enough, the way that you have sustained this body through this golden rule kind of living. That's the kind of vision and imagination this leadership has for this church, and we know you share it with us. And as marriages and families and churches empower its people to go into workplaces, to transform communities, to one day await a day when we will all stand before God and live in a golden kingdom, in a golden age, where every ounce of our sin, selfishness, and individualistic mindset will be finally and fully redeemed, and we will worship together in the heavenly kingdom. In many ways, Jesus is casting a simple, short vision for human existence that will be fully realized in the new heavens and the new earth. That's our hope. And when we live like this, as Christ lays out, we live into that hope. distort the image. May we not disconnect the dots. May we see as Christ sees. Treat others the way we want to be treated. And may we connect those dots in our hearts to our lives that relationships and righteousness are inseparably connected. May God bless this church as we pursue this vision. Enable us, fill us.